Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. I want to take a few moments with you. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of boasting to my wife one night, uh, Thursday or Friday, that I felt like I was a little head in, in sermon preparation, uh, that I, I had a good idea of what was going on in Hebrews 4. Uh, and then I found out uh, yesterday that I'd be preaching on it. So now I know why God let me get uh, a little bit ahead. Um, and so I'm looking forward to going through this text with you on rest in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Uh, we'll just take a, a few moments uh, together this evening. Uh, we'll go relatively quickly through it, and I can do that with you, I believe. In chapter 4, uh, the author uh, begins uh, a very straightforward set of warnings to his readers. Uh, these professing Jewish believers uh, must remember the generation of the Jewish, uh, of, of the Jewish people who left Egypt uh, they had initial steps of obedience, but they did not go the whole way. They did not get into the promised land because they had failed. And so what the author of Hebrews is interested in communicating is he does not want Jewish history to repeat himself with the Jewish professing believers that he is interacting with. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, we're still in the large, second large warning in the book, he issues two strong commands, and they're very easy to see in your Bible. All of the text is based off of these two commands. We're going to look at the first one tonight. But if you look at Hebrews 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Okay, so that's the first command. Therefore, let us fear. And then you get down to verse 11, and it says, Let us therefore strive. Okay, so the author of Hebrews in this strong warning about not falling like the first generation of the Israelite people gives two commands. You should fear and you should strive. Okay, tonight we're going to talk about this first command. Um, as we look at verses 1 through 10, uh, I think the main point that he's telling them is they should fear failure to enter God's rest. The word fear in verse 1 here is, uh, I think, stated in a very interesting way. The Hebrews needed to have a more sensitive attitude toward the possibility of failure. They were to fear failure to enter God's rest. Now, to illustrate what I think is going on here, I'll just pull an illustration from our own family life. And uh, again, I won't name any of my children so that um, uh, they won't hate me. Uh, but uh, have you ever watched some child attempt to learn something new before? Perhaps it's something like roller skating or riding a bicycle or motorbike. You have two different types of children, and you probably have a range in between. You have some children who lack courage and are afraid to attempt anything new. And so there's a certain approach as a parent that you, you have with that sort of timid child. You have other children who believe they can accomplish anything from the time they come out of the womb. Right? They, they, they can accomplish anything. Uh, how do we normally treat a timid child? We say things like, don't be afraid. You shouldn't feel failure. You can do it. However, how do we treat the child who has no fear and is convinced that he can do anything 
on roller skates, or for us most recently, in a vehicle. We're training two of our children. We've trained two of our children how to drive, and I won't get into it, but they had very different approaches. Uh, one was confident, one not so much, and I had two different approaches with them as drivers. To the one who's overly confident, you say things like, you should slow down. Okay. This is not as easy as I make it look. No, just <laughs> as your mother makes it look. You can't drive on the highway yet because you just aren't ready for it. Okay, changing that analogy just a little bit, if you have a competitor who is confident in his own running ability and so he does not train properly, I got the race, I'm, I'm good to go, you would probably say to this uh, this person, that he should get up and start ref refining his abilities. You should not be overconfident. You will be sad if you are on race debt. You need to get up and you need to start working. Ironically, we're telling them, in a sense, the opposite thing that we told the timid child. We're telling them they should fear failure. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing in, the, in this passage and throughout the book. The author of Hebrews offers to his readers these strong warnings. They should fear failure to enter God's rest. And I think in verses 1 through 10, he gives them three basic reasons. I just want to lay these out before you. First, you should fear failure to enter God's rest because, number one, the promise of entering rest still stands. Look in your Bible at verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The first reason here that we should fear missing out on God's rest is because uh, this is an offer that's still available to us. I think what he's doing in verse 1 is he's alluding back to that citation in Psalm 95, and he's alluding back to the children of Israel. They were given a promise originally in the Old Testament, and that is that they could inherit the promised land. And he's going to do something with that. Now, I think he might be alluding to a text in Deuteronomy. So let me have you just turn back there for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 12. If you could do that. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Because in, in verse 1 here, he talks about the, uh, a promise of entering his rest. To the Old Testament Israelites, they had a privileged standing before the word of promise, or a promise that God had given to him. This promise in their life, I think, would refer to the promise that they would get into the land. Look at Deuteronomy 12 and verse 8. It says, You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance, and then I, I think this is the promise, that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. And when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contributions that you present, and all your finest vow offerings, that you vow to the Lord. Okay, so in its original context and setting, the Old Testament Israelites received a promise from God that they would get into the land. 
However, what the author of Hebrews does in verse 1 is he talks about a promise for rest still standing. Okay, so the author of Hebrews is writing an audience. He says, while the offer, the promise of God's rest still exists. So in his day, this was not just a promise to the Israelite people that they would get into the promised land. The author of Hebrews is saying, there's some sort of promise for God's rest that still exists today. So you should fear uh, lest you, you not enter in. We should fear missing out because we are dealing with an offer which remains current, the author of Hebrews is saying. God still offers rest to his people. Now, we're going to discover more about the nature of the rest as we read down through this text. But I want you to note that the author here is talking, the author of Hebrews is talking about some sort of future rest a promise for a future rest that still exists. So he issues a command. So fear that you don't get into uh, that rest. Okay, so the first reason why you should feel f- fear failure to get into God's rest is because there remains an offer for us to enter God's rest. Go back to Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 4 and we'll look at verse 2. The second reason he gives them is, uh, I'll summarize this way, it's verse 2. Because other advantaged people did not get into God's rest. Okay, so he's he's saying, uh, let me give you different reasons why you should fear failure to get in. One, it's still an offer. God still offers rest, so um, you should fear. Two, um, other advantaged people didn't get in. Look at verse two. For good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The second reason that we should fear failure to enter God's rest is that spiritual advantages do not necessarily mean success. And the author of Hebrews makes this by again reminding them of the old old covenant Israelite people. He said they received good news. They received a gospel just like you have. Now, their good news, I think, is likely the report that the spies gave to them. That was the good news they heard. They got this report about the land being good and God being strong from Joshua and Caleb. And yet that wasn't profitable to them because that good report was not met with faith. They didn't believe. And so what I think the author of Hebrews is, is again doing here is he's saying, uh, just because someone receives good news, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be fine. It needs to be met by faith. You need to believe. And that leads us to verses 3 through 10. And, and really, I think a third reason, uh, again, we're just going quickly through, a third reason why you should fear failure of entering God's rest, and I would summarize it this way, because this rest that the author of Hebrews is talking about involves entrance into God's rest in heaven. I want to read with you verses 3 through 10. I just want to show you very quickly what I think is going on. Look at verse 3. For we, author of Hebrews and his readers, we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There's so much in this passage, of course, for us to pursue, but I think one of the keys to it, if you're going to make sense of this, is to know that the author of Hebrews has a progression in his mind and in this text about the topic of rest. When he speaks of rest, he speaks of three different kinds of rest that you will see in this passage if you look closely. First, he talks about God's rest on the seventh day of creation. You see that in your Bibles? It's right there. It's it's actually a citation of Genesis One of the ways he uses the word rest is to speak of God's rest uh, on the seventh day of creation. Another way he uses it, though, is he uses it to speak of the rest that God gave the Israelites in Canaan, the promised land. But then finally, there's a third way that he will use rest in this text, and that is to describe the future rest that awaits believers in heaven. And while we'll survey it tonight, and I'll get into it again more next Sunday morning, I think his main point in this section is that the rest that believers seek today remains in the future. Because that's where this text will get to by the end. It will be a text about the glories of heaven. And so what I think the author of Hebrews is doing is he is challenging the these New Covenant believers, and again, we won't get into all of this, but he's, he's basically making chronological arguments. He says stuff like, you know, when David quoted, or when David said this about a rest in the psalm, he still had a future rest in mind. And that occurred well after Joshua and Moses in the Old Covenant. Joshua got them into the Promised Land, but Joshua didn't give them the sort of rest that years later David talks about. David still talks about a rest that will come. And so what the author of Hebrews does is he, he takes that for New Covenant believers and he uses this concept of rest and he says there is a future rest that believers will enjoy in heaven. And when you enjoy that rest in heaven, you'll be like God when he rests. He rests from all his work. And so as you go to verses 9 and 10, I think that becomes very clear. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Some people, when they go through this passage, they think that in places like verse 3 and verse 10, that the rest that the author of Hebrews is talking about is the current Christian experience. 
And there is a sense in some New Testament texts that's right. Jesus talked in the Gospels about a, although, you know, following him would, it would contain difficulty, that God would provide rest to believers. However, I don't believe that the author of Hebrews has that in mind. I think what he's doing is he's warning over confident Jewish believers who are thinking about walking away from Jesus. He's not telling them, you know what, you can just rest right now and it'll be okay. He's saying, there's coming a future rest in heaven. There's coming a future rest in heaven. And only those people who have belief are the sort of people who are going to get in. He's warning over confident people, you need to keep pressing forward in faith. You need to keep believing so that you can get into this rest. Again, I'll, I'll say more next week, but uh, let me close with, with one last illustration I think will, will help you understand, I, I think, what's going on here. When our family travels, uh, it's, it's grown a little bit easier. I, I always feel bad for... Uh, families who have small children. I remember those days in traveling. I remember for years, we never traveled when we went anywhere during the day uh, for long trips. We always traveled at night because I wanted the kids to be sleeping. Okay, you just remember those days. But uh, even at this point, when we travel now, we, when we stop when we travel, say we're taking a long trip, we choose exits or rest areas where we can get a lot done in one stop. Typically at a rest area, we'll do things like this. We will refuel our car, we'll get refreshed, we'll stretch, we'll run around for a few minutes, get, it, get some snacks. But, but we treat rest areas differently than we do our final destination. Our final destination, when we, find, you know, when, when we get there, we take out our bedding and luggage. We lay down, we relax, we put on our PJs, and at least some of us take a shower uh, to prepare for the evening. Okay, so we treat our final destination differently than we do a rest stop, okay, or an exit. What would happen if you mix the two locations up? Okay, what if at a rest area you take out your bedding, you lay down, you relax, you put on your PJs, and you take a shower? Okay, that, you know, that'd be terrible, why? because it's not your final destination. The author of Hebrews in this text is not intending to coddle professing believers and say, you know what, you can just rest, you can take it easy in this world at this time. What he's saying is you need to press forward. Your final destination is still in the future. You need to press on and have faith. The author of Hebrews does not tell us to rest. He challenges us to press on to our final destination. Life is a journey for us as believers. It's a journey of faith and obedience. In the midst sometimes of good days and great things, but sometimes in the midst of persecution, suffering, failure, and difficulty. But it's a journey to the rest that God has promised us in heaven. As this text is intended to push us forward. Of course, we know that it is only possible for us to enter God's rest in heaven because of the completed work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
This work we're going to celebrate tonight at the Lord's table. And this work, Christ's death on the cross, should inspire us and push us forward in 2020. Paul the Apostle says, Philippians 3.13, Brothers, I do not consider uh, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May 2020 be a year where we press forward to God's rest. Let's pray together.